Welcome to Home is Where the Torah is, the podcast series recorded in our homes and sent directly to yours. I'm Leon Morris, the president of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. In this series, we get to learn from six members of our talented faculty as they consider Jewish perspectives on the notion of home. Stay tuned after the lecture for a brief conversation in Chavruta I'll be having with Mati Rosenshine, the gifted architect of our new building, as we pick up on an idea or two expressed by our teachers. In today's episode, we will learn from Rabbi Tzvi Hirschfeld as he discusses mezuzah, our best selves at the doorway. Hello, everyone. This is Tzvi Hirschfeld from the Pardes Institute, uh, speaking to you from my home in Alone Shvut. And it's my privilege today to discuss the mitzvah of mezuzah with you, as we are all, uh, many of us at least, are stuck in our homes or privileged to be in our homes is probably a better way to phrase it. Uh, the commandments or the mitzvot that pertain to the home are a particularly relevant topic for this time. And mezuzah, of course, the custom or the mitzvah, the commandment, of putting a parchment uh, at the doorposts uh, of the doors of our home uh, is a particularly appropriate mitzvah to discuss at this time. So I'd like to begin, of course, we begin with the verses in Deuteronomy, which mention this commandment, right? It says, right, uchtavtam, you have to write uh, these words, uchtavtam, uh, and again, it's not clear what the pshat, what the simple meaning of the verses mean. Uh, the commandment to write these words appears bo- in both of the first two paragraphs of the Shema, in Devarim 6 uh, and Devarim Yud Aleph. Uh, and the simple meaning there is somewhat unclear, right? It could be uh, a metaphor, the way the Rashbam understands the commandment of tefillin. And a shot level to be a metaphor, bind it on your arm doesn't mean literally bind anything, but it means, uh, you know, make it important. Don't forget. Uh, so here, too, the idea that we're commanded to write these on the mezuzot onto the doorposts, uh, it could be metaphorical. It comes in the context of Moshe uh, giving a speech to the people to remember God, and remember the covenant and to love God and to love and, and, and commit to the mitzvot. And so in this context, the tavtam, to write, write it down, could be metaphorical. But of course, our tradition understood it not as a metaphor, but as an actual physical commandment that we are supposed to write down these words. Uh, which words? Uh, the rabbis determine it's referring to the uh, two paragraphs of the Shema where the commandment of mezuzah appears. Uh, and they learn various, uh, through the Midrash and through tradition, uh, they learn that it's uh, only on one side and it's on the right side, the side that you come in, uh, that we don't actually write these words on the doorposts themselves, but we write them on a cloth, right, on a parchment with ink, like a Sefer Torah, that what we write there are actually the two paragraphs of Shema. Uh, and uh, the, this parchment has to be fixed to the doorposts of our homes uh, and all the doors of our homes, except for bathrooms or things that are considered without kavod, not honorable or at least not appropriate for the sanctity of a mezuzah. Uh, and basically, there's a requirement to put this little mini Sefer Torah uh, and, uh, to the, and, and fix it to the doorposts of our home. And according to the rabbis, even storehouses and granaries and things like that would also need a mezuzah any place that we 
live. And of course, the question is going to emerge, you know, what's the purpose of this commandment? And I'd say, I guess, on an obvious level, we would say from the context in Deuteronomy, uh, it's about uh, a declaration. It's a declaration of the covenant. In fact, in the Shari Chuva, Rabbeinu Yonah even compares uh, the mezuzah to the actual recitation of the Shema. Right, just like the recitation of the Shema is a declaration of our commitment to the covenant and to God, so too is putting that mezuzah on the doorpost as a type of declaration of our commitment to God. But I think in many ways we can think about this mitzvah, and tradition did think about this mitzvah, uh, and in fact, uh, in certain ways, I think went deeper in thinking about the potential meanings that are present. And I would like to share some of these concepts with you uh, and hopefully uh, inspire you uh, and maybe inspire myself all at the same time. So one of the, the common associations that people have with mezuzah is the idea of shmirah, that the mezuzah guards us somehow. Uh, it probably has its biblical roots in the first Paschal sacrifice, the Korban Pesach, where the Jewish people are commanded to shmir, that's my technical term, uh, the blood of the Paschal sacrifice on the doorposts and the, and the lintel, I think is the English term, of the home as a sign. So the mashchit, so the destroyer, won't enter the home. Uh, and that gave rise to a whole idea of the idea of the mezuzah being a protection. And in certain mystical sources, uh, the mezuzah protects us through God's name being outside our door. And uh, that gave rise to the custom that if bad things happen, you have to check your mezuzah. But I think there's actually a, a deeper, I shouldn't say deeper, that's a little judgmental, but an alternative concept about what it means to think of being guarded by our mezuzah. You know, there's a striking story uh, in Tractate Avodah Zarah about Unclus the Ger. Unclus, of course, is the famous translator of the Hebrew Bible, or at least the Chumash, into Aramaic. Uh, and he gets in trouble with the Roman authorities. Uh, and they send uh, soldiers, the Caesar sends soldiers to go get him. And when the soldiers come to get him, he engages them in conversation and ultimately convinces them to convert to Judaism as well. It's a beautiful, uh, lovely story. Uh, and the story begins, right, that it's on, it's in Avodah Zarat, uh, uh, page Yud Aleph Amud Aleph, 11a where the Caesar sends soldiers to go after Unclus for converting, and they show up, and he engages them in conversation and, discuss, and, and basically says to them, so tell me, uh, when the different Roman authorities uh, march, uh, march through, who holds the torch for whom? And it emerges that the higher you are on the chain, uh, somebody else holds the tor a torch for you. They go in front of you to light the way. And he points out to them, you know, the God of the Jewish people, he went in front. And he lit the way. And then he says, so tell me, when you're at home, who guards the house? Who stands outside? Say, the slaves stand outside and the, the important people are inside. And Uncle says, well, you know, and he points to the mezuzah and he says, you know, in the Jewish tradition, God is the one who stands outside. God is the one who guards us and we get to be inside. And I think this idea of the mezuzah I think can be understood not as this idea of some type of magical protective amulet, but rather it symbolizes we are committed to a God that actually cares about us. It is not about only about our service towards God, but God cares about us and God is looking out for us and we are in a relationship with God as opposed to simply serving God. And I think that's a very beautiful concept uh, that we can think about. 
Another connection that's made with the mezuzah is the link of the mezuzah to the mitzvah of tefillin and the mitzvah of tzitzit. Uh, and the Gemara Menachot speaks about uh, this idea. It says uh, that God loves the Jewish people so much, he literally surrounded them with mitzvot. They put tefillin on their heads and arms. They put tzitzit on their clothing, and they put a mezuzah uh, at the front of at the entrance to their home. That we are surrounded by mitzvot, and it goes on to say that anyone who is surrounded by all these mitzvot will never sin. And I, I think to myself, what is being stated here? What does it mean to be surrounded with mitzvot? And I think there there's sort of two ideas here. One is this idea of like the mitzvot is a type of 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 uniform or even an armor, right? It's our it's our outside layering. It's how we present ourselves to the world. It's how we engage the world. And in many ways, it defines us, right? Our uniform is tefillin, tzitzit, and mezuzah. And I think this other idea that it protects you from sin, you know, many people, I know myself included, we often have this opposite take that I need to grow spiritually. So then when I do the internal work, it'll show up in my external life. And I think mitzvot, often are <clears throat> designed to send the opposite message, that it's by working on our external behaviors, we can, af- we can often generate an internal transformation. That by we put on tefillin, we put on CC, we put that mezuzah up there, and that in turn uh, will sort of penetrate inwards and will change or affect who we are inside, that sometimes the way to begin is with our behaviors and our physical existence, and that can then have the effect on our emotional uh, and spiritual lives. Uh, Another, I think, important idea about the role of mezuzah, particularly in its placement, when it's, uh, you know, it's it's, it's attached physically to our homes. Uh, There's a certain aesthetic there. I hope I'm pronouncing that word correctly. Uh, there's a certain sense of beauty. It's reflected actually uh, in this very beautiful midrash in Shira Shirim, where <coughs> the the chatan or the the suitor uh, refers to the young lady. He says hinach yafa rayati hinach yafa. He describes her as being beautiful. Right? Uh, Behold, you are so beautiful. And uh, what I like, and then the midrash continues, and it says. Hinach yafab mitzvot, right? The Midrash says, in, in, in a typical way for the Midrash, right, that it's not talking about physical beauty. It's talking about the beauty of the way, and of course, in this context, the Jewish people live. We are beautiful because of our mitzvot. We are beautiful in the acts of chesed that we do. We are beautiful in the commandments that we observe. We are beautiful our home is a beautiful home because we give tzedakah and we give the tithes that we're supposed to give. And our fields are beautiful because we give to the poor from our produce. And our homes are beautiful because they are adorned with a mezuzah. And I think there it's a very nice idea of a different type of, it's like, what makes something beautiful? Is it because it's fancy? Is because uh, it's painted to perfection? Is because it's physical design catches the eye? I think, you know, I'm not, I think we all can acknowledge the physical beauty is important and we all want to live in a beautiful home. And I think we all want to look beautiful in some way, but this idea that beauty can be understood differently that what can make something beautiful are the values that are being expressed. And then we put a mezuzah on our door, uh, and it's the same mezuzah that can go on a shack or can go on a mansion. We are saying, we are giving, I think, a, a, 
uh, a different cultural take on what makes something beautiful. And I think that this is very important, particularly today when we live in a society or a culture where physical appearance can matter so much. The idea that the mezuzah can represent an alternative aesthetic, a way to define beauty, uh, I think uh, could be very helpful and very important. The next concept I'd like to turn to uh, is the idea of the placement of the mezuzah in the doorway and how significant doorways are, right? Doorways are transitional spaces. We go through the doorway to go out into the world and we come through the doorway to come back into our homes. And I think the role of the mezuzah placed there at the doorway uh, is, is, in my mind, clearly significant. That these transitional moments, the mezuzah is supposed to be present and, and tell us something. You know, the Shla in his commentary on Cholin speaks about the mezuzah being at the entrance to the home. And he talks about it has significance, im ha the yitziyah. It's giving us a message for when we come in and when we go out. And he goes on to talk about how that we should be conscious that the things that we are bringing into our home, uh, the material items that were all acquired in good faith, right? The mezuzah should be a reminder. We can't bring stolen items or material goods that were acquired through oppression or negative behavior, that the mezuzah is reminding us the things that we bring into our home have to be brought in uh, with an appropriate uh, pers uh, a behavior with the highest values. And I think that there's a, a message there also about how uh, when we go out into the world, right? He talks about, and when we go out to do business, we do business honorably and honestly. And basically he's saying that we should uh, go in and out of our homes. The reminder of the mezuzah is the things that we bring out of our homes and the people that we are when we go out into the world and come back into the world, should clearly be affected by the mezuzah. You know, he even says that when we go out into the world, we look at the mezuzah, we should be reminded, we shouldn't devote ourselves out there in the world towards empty matters or vain matters or just the pursuit of our uh, physical desires. That the mezuzah should remind us, you go out into the world, you want to you want to accomplish the important things. You want to spend your time and energy and resources on the important things. You come back into your home. You want to make sure all the things you're bringing back into the home are a reflection of those highest values. You know this idea of the mezuzah being a projection of who we are out in the world uh, finds its way into Hasidut uh, in in many different contexts. There's a Sfat Emet that actually notes how the mezuzah in many ways is a reference to Avraham. That Avraham also sat petach ha'oel, right? He sat at the entrance to his tent. In the same way the mezuzah was fixed, is fixed, in the doorway at the entrance, Avraham was fixed at the doorway. And, I, and it's a beautiful image, because what's that saying? Why was Avram uh, fixed at the doorway? He was fixed at the doorway of his tent because he wanted to do chesed, right? The Midrash tells us he wanted to find guests. He wanted to engage people in conversation about God and monotheism. And he wanted to take care of travelers who needed food or water or help, right? It was about chesed. It was about taking care of others. And I think that the Sfat Demet is trying to tell something very powerful that Putting a mezuzah on our doorway can't only just be a nice little ceremony that we do once and, and forget, but rather it is meant 
to be a, a reminder of who we want to be. We want to be at the entrance of our doorway looking to do chesed, looking to take care of people. Right? We want to be the Avraham. The Mezuzah is calling to us every day, be Avraham. Just like I'm here, you're meant to be sitting here. I'm your reminder that you're meant to be like Avram. You need to be at the entrance to your home, looking out for other people, wanting to take care of people, wanting to project uh, uh, whatever you can of holiness and goodness out there into the world. So the mezuzah, I think, in many ways is meant to be this, this call to us when we both go out into the world and we come into the world, right? That we want to bring our best selves out into the world uh, and do as much good as we can and use all the material and spiritual and physical blessings that we have to impact the world in a positive way. And we also then want to bring that best self back into our homes, right? How many of us find that when we're out there in the world at work or with friends, uh, we can be patient and kind and let things go and uh, and and be very generous. And yet sometimes, and, and this is very sad, but it's reality, sometimes our worst behavior is reserved for the people that we're at home with, right? We quote unquote, that's where we can just sort of let go and lose our patience and be anger be angry and be critical and all the the kindness and chesed and patience that we seem to have for the people outside the home we need to have that for the people inside the home as well right the mezuzah is a reminder when we come back into the home and we look at that mezuzah who is the covenanted Jew? Who is the Jew who is a a descendant of Abraham? Who is the Jew that is committed to uh, eternal values? That person has to also appear in our homes. And I think uh, this leads me uh, to my final point. It's something that the Abarbanel says, and it's really in the context of Moshe's speech in Dvarim, where Moshe in Dvarim, uh, the, the mitzvot of mezuzah, and tefillin, for that matter, are all coming up in this broader context of uh, Moshe exhorting the people, don't forget, right? I'm not going to be with you soon, and I am trying desperately to remind you, right? With all the power that I have, I am trying desperately to remind you, remember what you have been through, remember your experience in Egypt, remember God taking care of you through the desert, and remember all that's happened here and all that I've taught you, because you're likely to forget. Just remember, hear Israel, but not hear only the sense of, you know, let the noise penetrate your ears. Let it penetrate your mind and your hearts and your souls. Let these words go in. To remember that to love God and that God loves you. And that in the context of this speech that Moshe is giving, that is where the mitzvah of mezuzah appears. And the Abarbanel says that's because the mezuzah is there to remind us because we forget. And it occurred to me this idea of forgetting. What do we mean when we say we forget? I don't think the word shachach in Hebrew, or to forget, just like the word zachor, to remember, is not in the sense of remembering a phone number or forgetting a name, where the information is somewhere in our brain and we can't access it. 
I don't think that's what we're talking about. When we are challenged to remember Shabbat or remember the covenant, it doesn't mean that we have forgotten that the information is lost. It means that the it's not at the forefront of our minds. It's not to recall. It is to take something that we already know and bring it to the forefront. Make it prominent in our minds. To remember in this context means to make it important, to make it central, to make it the lens through which we view the world. The mezuzah is telling us, make your relationship with God and the Jewish people and the covenant you're a part of central in your mind in terms of who you are in the world and at home. Bring it to the forefront. And the Barbanel is pointing out we have a tendency to forget. And what I think, and Moshe was also warning us, you're going to forget. Why do we forget? It's not because we're lacking information. It's because it's hard. It's hard to be our best selves. There are all sorts of other things pulling at us that prevent our best selves from coming out. Whether it's anxiety, Uh, the defense mechanisms, the survival instincts, the fears that we have, all of these impulses, natural impulses as human beings living in a physical world, right? Psychologists tell us the negativity bias, a a critique bias, a judgment bias, the the bias to, to worry. These are all natural impulses that are there to protect us. Right, Because to survive in a hostile, difficult world, worrying about our physical survival and seeing danger and seeing difficulty and wanting to take care of ourselves, these are hardwired instincts that we have. But the Torah is telling us we don't have to live by those instincts only. We can choose a path that puts something ahead of those instincts. Because we also have the power to be loving and kind and aware of uh, others, the needs of others, aware of God's presence in the world. We can elevate our minds and our awareness, but we have to be reminded it's not our default. Our default is to, quote unquote, forget. Our default is to be driven by ego. Our default is to be driven by our survival instincts, and we have to do the work to lift ourselves up out of that in order to dedicate ourselves to something higher and be our best selves, both out there in the world and also and especially in our homes. And the mezuzah is there as our reminder. The Abarbanel is telling us the mezuzah is there to make you aware as you go out into the world, be your best self. You've made a commitment to be your best self, the best Jew you can be, the best human you can be. And when you come back home, be your best self. Be the best parent you can be. Be the best partner you can be. Be the best friend you can be. Right? And that is what the mezuzah, I think, is calling to us uh, uh, in, a, in a very deep and profound way. But like all the tools that we have, if we don't pay attention to them, we lose them. That's why the custom of kissing the mezuzah, which I understand to others can look so 
ritualistic, like really, and in, 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 like all rituals, you could do it without thinking. You see people reach up there with their right hand and kiss it with Ivan thinking. But I think there's a certain profound message there. Be, it's, 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 a, it's a reminder for the reminder, right? Be aware. Touch that mezuzah and maybe don't just kiss the mezuzah. Or maybe even instead of kissing the mezuzah, pause and ask yourself, what would it mean for me to embody the words that are in this piece of, that are written on this piece of parchment to love God and to be my best self and to commit myself to my obligations of being my best self through mitzvot and through all the other ethical commitments that I have to remind myself of that commitment and that promise and to remind myself that I can do it. Right. The mezuzah is also telling me I am never a lost cause. Every day that I go out and every time that I come back in, the mezuzah is reminding me my best self is ready to come out and can come out. I just have to push myself to make that happen. So it's a small piece of parchment. And yet it has the power, as we have seen, uh, to give us so much, so many wonderful insights into how we should be in the world that we have a relationship with God. We have a covenant with God. And that God actually wants to protect us. God wants to take care of us. God's invested in us. He's outside manning the gates for us. The idea that we have uh, a cultural aesthetic. We have a way of, of thinking about how we present ourselves to the world and what we find beautiful. That's such an important message. Beauty isn't only about a physical appearance, and a beautiful home is not only defined by where it would rank in architecture weekly, but a beautiful home is a home that reflects the Jewish values, both inside and out. Uh, and we also have the idea of the mezuzah as a way of reminding us that we can be like Avram. The mezuzah is Avram outside our door reminding us, be like me. Uh, and be your best self and bring your best self into the world and bring your best self back into your home. So I appreciate you giving the time to sit and think about Mizuzah with me. I hope this was helpful and interesting and inspiring for you. And I look forward uh, to learning more with you and having you uh, take even greater advantage of the learning opportunities Pardes has to offer, particularly during this very challenging time. This is Leon Morris. I'm sitting here with Mati Rosenshine, the architect of Pardes' new home, Beit Karen. Hello, Mati. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. At the beginning of his shiur, Tzvi Hirschfeld brought the interpretation of the pasuk, the verse from Shira Shirim, from Song of Songs, Hinach Yafa Rayati, how beautiful you are, my partner, and he brought the interpretation that reads it as hinach yafa ba mitzvot, how beautiful in mitzvot. And I want to ask you, what makes something beautiful? Um, that is a, uh, a wonderful question, and of course, there are, are there is no right answer to that question. There are many views. Um, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I will say for myself that. Um, uh, beauty starts with, uh, in architecture especially, uh, proportions. 
proportions of spaces, proportions of columns, proportions of openings. Um, and very often these elements cannot be explained or what makes them beautiful cannot always be explained. Throughout history, there have been many attempts to sort of categorize and arrive at equations that render something beautiful, the golden section, uh, the Vitruvian man, um, uh, uh, Le Corbusier, La Modular. There have been all kinds of systems that, that try and put the finger on, on what, what yields true beauty. I personally do not necessarily believe that there is one uh, scheme or equation for true beauty. And I think often it's very intuitive. It also has a lot to do with the aesthetic sensibility of a given time. You know, what, what proportions are all about. So proportions is one component that uh, deals with beauty. Another uh, component that I would say is materiality and, and how materials come together and how the texture of those materials relate uh, one to the other. Uh, color um, is another component. Um, scale. Is, is enormously important, how, how a certain building or a certain space relates to, to, to people and how people feel within uh, those spaces. Um, and perhaps most important is the uh, quality of light, how light uh, renders all the other characteristics which I, I previously mentioned. Uh, lots of light, low light, no light. All of these qualities are enormously important generators for beauty. Mm. So I want to go to the other piece of that midrash, yafa b'mitzvot, and um, thinking about how are values and ideas expressed in architecture. Okay, so um, once again, um, I do believe that um, values, architecture is all about values. Um, at, every, at any given time throughout history, architecture is a true expression of the values of, of the time. I'm just walking down uh, the street, certainly in historic cities, you can read history by studying those buildings, studying the proportion, the, the texture, the ornamentation. Uh, uh, architecture is, is really a storybook of, of culture. Um, and it, it embeds within it um, many, many values. Uh, for me, uh, one of the most important values uh, is, is uh, about memory and about roots. And it's not to say that I believe that buildings should be sort of historic replicas, but I, I do believe that buildings need to reflect their context, need to dis, uh, reflect where the building is uh, and who the building is serving. And so memory is, is a very important value. Tradition is another important value because tradition um, orients us. It helps us orient ourselves in, in respect to, to where we are and who we are. And every building should, in my view, relate in some way to tradition. 
It could be um, a material that is reinterpreted in such a way uh, that we can relate to it, that we know where that came from. It doesn't uh, necessarily mean that all buildings need to be arched um, because a historic traditional form is arches, but perhaps stone in a new interpretation will uh, deal with, with tradition um, and also give the sense of belonging. I also think that the notion of renewal is extremely important and exciting in, in architecture. I think that uh, architecture should constantly renew itself, especially in a, a, a building like Pardes, uh, an institute, an organization uh, similar to Pardes, is constantly renewing itself in its thinking, thinking forward. And I think the architecture needs to re uh, reflect that. And therefore, architecture that is about tradition on one hand, orientation, but then renewing itself. And that can be in the new or uh, reinterpretation of how stone is dressed or how components are put together is enormously important. Mm. So what's the relationship, Mati, between values and beauty? How are we to understand the place of aesthetics, well, how should we as an institution that's building a new home, how should we be thinking about the place of aesthetics? The, the uh, uh, philosopher um, Alain de Beton uh, wrote a book called The Architecture of Happiness, uh, not too uh, far back, which has received on one hand praise and on the other uh, a good deal of criticism. And in the book, he largely discusses the relationship between beauty and happiness. Um, very often, architecture is relegated to something that is less, uh, less important, um, but, but often architecture is not necessarily um, taken as seriously as I think it should be in its importance in how it affects our everyday life and how we behave and how we interact with one another and how we interact with, with the place. Um, I personally believe that architecture has a huge significance um, and is a hugely optimistic um, act. Mm. And I, I believe that um, the way we do architecture and the way uh, urban planning uh, is is uh, is designed. Um, I, I personally believe that um, architecture is hugely significant in our day to day life, even if we don't always realize it. Um, beauty is hugely significant in in how we feel. The beauty of our streets, the beauty of our parks, the beauty of piazzas, the beauty of our internal spaces and our facades. I think is often very underestimated. I think it affects almost everyone. Um, and I think often architecture is, uh, is relegated to less important or perhaps more, more frivolous or too costly. But I think uh, architecture and urban planning is enormously important in how we behave to one another, to the, to, to the place. And um, mm. I... I think it should, uh, should be taken uh, extremely seriously. So when we think about this intersection between values and beauty, 
and we, we think about a place like Pardes that's kind of helping to cultivate um, a text-intoxicated Jew, you know, each in their own way, uh, the surroundings of where that's happening is not, it's not trivial. It's not insignificant. It is not insignificant. This incubator, that's Pardes. It, it turns out that the, the incubator itself uh, is uh, of great importance. It's hugely important. And um, I'd like to stress that um, good architecture is not necessarily about costly materials or ostentatious uh, design, but, but rather um, it could be about simplicity. It could be about sni'ut. It could be um, about um, humble proportions to spaces. Um, I think whether uh, the spaces are large or small, I think that the materials and the proportion of the spaces and the texture is all very conducive to how we feel when we're studying. How we, um, are we isolated from the outside enough? Is it a, a good incubator to, to come up with ideas? Um, or is the space connected enough uh, is one space connected to the other enough so new ideas will come about between people? Incidental connections between people where very often the most important ideas are born mm. by just bumping into someone in the hallway and so, uh, or, or an informal sitting or eating area or garden or terrace. And so I, I feel that um, the arrangement of spaces, the beauty of the spaces, the connection between the spaces and how we feel we're, when we're within the spaces are Im extremely important for the uh, task at hand. Beautiful. And orienting us for our exit from that space back into the world. How, uh, how, do, we, how do we go back into the world? How does the aesthetic experience of having been in this incubator prepare us for you know, meeting the world outside. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Amati. Pleasure.